It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by Mimi Roca and Darcel D. Clark, two of the now four women district attorneys just here in the New York City area. I am so excited to have this conversation with these two amazing women. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. I, I'd love to hear from both of you, but I'll, I'll start with Mimi. What does it mean? Like, what is the actual impact of having this many women uh, as district attorneys for the New York City area? Um, well, thanks just so much for having us. And certainly, you know, it's great to be back. Always. Yes. So, so excited to be on with D.A. Clark, um, who's been uh, just already a mentor to me and um, is such a great example um, for women all over the country, really. Um, and it is amazing. It really was Women's History Month that caused me to say, hey, wait a minute, there are four women <laughs> district attorneys in New York, just in the southern um, counties, as we call it, the downstate counties. Um, there, there actually are a few more in the upstate counties as well. But if you take all four of us together, that's over 6 million people that we um, women, you know, serve, basically. And, you know, it's, I think it's hard to sum it up, but I'll try. I, I think overall what it, what it does is it brings a different perspective. I mean, that's to me what diversity is about, whether you're talking about gender, race, you know, sexual orientation, whatever it is, um, you bring a different perspective. That's just a fact and a different approach to things as a woman than as a man. After, I'm, you know, I'm sure D.A. Clark can speak to this too, but after 16 years um, as a federal prosecutor and, and more years overall in law enforcement of being surrounded mostly by men in law enforcement, I know that I take a different approach to things. And what I've come to value is that that is valuable to bring that different approach because it can help work through things that otherwise wouldn't be worked through. So I think it, it's a great example, but it also allows us to help people think about things in ways that they wouldn't otherwise if it were just men, especially in law enforcement. They were just talking about this in the last segment, but in the context of <laughs> women-owned women owned small businesses, um, because, uh, you know, we were, we were having a discussion about how companies are asking for diversity training, anti-racism training, but then the people who are sort of going through the presentation and editing it you know, oh, this should be in there, that should be in there. Um, they're like white guys. And so she said, um, you know, I, I, it's fine that you have opinions about systemic racism, but like, what do you know about it? You don't have it as a lived experience. It's nothing, you, you don't know anything about it. I mean, unless you read it in a book, because it's not what you have to live through every single day. So um, Darcel, I feel like part of the part of my question um, off the top of here is just, um, to piggyback on what Mimi said is what what is it about sort of that diversity of lived experience and living in the body that is not a white man and having to move throughout the world in that body and and that means certain things people treat you certain ways and 
um, how that actually informs the work that you do. Um, because I think oftentimes white men think they can understand every experience, even if they have not lived it. <laughs> um, right. And the same, you know, the reverse is not true for everyone else. And of course it's not. I don't understand the lived experiences of of people, um, you know, who are not black women because I've never been mm -hmm. anything other than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, thank you for for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity. I you know, I, I'm really honored to be asked to be part of this uh, discussion for during Black uh, Women's History Month. And, and thank you to Mimi for those kind words. But I couldn't wait for her to get elected because, you know, five years ago when I was elected the first woman DA in the Bronx, I was the only I was the only one in New York City. I had, uh, thank God, um, in Nassau County. Um, Madeline Singlis is then. We, you know, we've been soulmates in getting this work done. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's important that women are there. You know, we just look at things differently. She, she's right. There's a different perspective. There, you know, you know, we we think outside the box. We bring a certain amount of empathy. We bring a certain amount of, you know, I don't want to do things the same old way that we used to because it doesn't work. And most importantly, we bring a sense of urgency what needs to be done to recognize um, the issues that face our communities, you know, crime, racism, all of those things. Women, you know, we're about getting it done, you know, and, and, and the status quo has been, okay, do this study, talk to these people, circle around, circle around, circle around, and nothing happens. We're coming in here and we're making a difference. And I think that our communities appreciate it. And as far as the lived experience, you know, I, I'm in the Bronx, you know, raised my whole life here, you know, public housing, public schools, you know, first of my family go to college. I can identify with the very people that I represent because I, you know, I just don't sit up in that DA's office. I live in the community with them. I'm part of it. And it's important that you be able to relate to them. And I think, Women have a different relatability to the community that some men mm -hmm. have. And I would imagine that that there's, uh, you know, we we see this we see this in politics, we see it in business. It, it's not about just having one woman at the table. It's about having lots of women in the room. Um, have you noticed? And I'll, I'll I'll put this to DA Clark. Have you noticed a change since those early days when it was just you in Nassau County? Does it does it change the dynamic of of DA's offices um, to have to have added to your ranks to to now be sitting Absolutely. with four? Absolutely, because you see you see the vigor, you see the um, enthusiasm of people wanting to join our staff because it's something different mm -hmm. now. But it's not just for the sake of having a woman, but a woman that's a visionary that has a vision for the work that she's doing. People want to get on board with this, and I want them. So I want to be enthusiastic. I want to encourage people to want to be a part of the solution of the, you know, the issues that we have in our community. And I know Maddie and I, we brought that as soon as we came in. We're also two women that are not, you know, shrinking violet, so they're going to hear, mm -hmm. you know, whether they want to or not. But there's a certain way about doing that as well so that you're respected as, as you go forth in doing the work. So when Mimi ran, you know, we were happy to see that, you know, again, downstate, we were going to bring somebody on. Melinda Katz came in Queens after 30, you know, 20 years or so of, of Judge Brown being there. It's just a new perspective, and people are excited. 
That's so great. I mean, it's so I'm, great to I'm hear excited. that people are applying <laughs> um, to work there, being like, oh, wait, people with a vision, I want to go there. I mean, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I've definitely applied to certain jobs because of that specific reason. Like, I wanted to work for a specific 100%. person or near a, sp- a specific person. Um, so that's so yep. cool. I mean, Mimi, do you feel like um, we've gone through a lot? I mean, we've been talking all morning about the last year <laughs> and how... Um, <laughs> You know, we all we said bye on like what March? I think we, it's March twelfth. Jess uh, in person, and then never saw yeah. each other again, and yeah. we didn't know it. Um, <laughs> you know, as we reflect on just the growth, I think America, the growing pains America has gone through in the past year. You know, there are certain communities that you know, they, yeah, they grew, but they also suffered so much loss, um, both of lives and livelihoods, um, and you know we're just going through a lot of pain. I mean, I suppose growth comes from that, but we didn't ask for this kind of growth. I wasn't like, you know, I really want to see if I can (laughs) live in existential dread for a year to see how, (laughs) you know, if if I'm really a survivor and I can toughen up. Like I wasn't really asking for any of this, Um, but we're here. Um, Reflect on, you know, we we went out uh we came out of a trump era and now we're sort of in a new era with a new a new lease on things you know i think even seeing you know some of the conversations around uh funding of police departments uh and systemic reforms and things that you know racial justice advocates have been talking about for many decades but um now you have people in elected office um like the two of you that are talking about the ways in which you can change the systems from within to make them more fair for everybody. Um, so, yeah, reflect on that growth. You know, what you sort of come into this job and the perspective you bring, but also sort of how the last year contributed to any changes in, in how you uh, approach things. Yeah, I mean, it's, Look, it is sort of an existential question in some ways, but it's also very concrete. I'm always asking these existential questions before like eight thirty. It's like like seven o'clock. I'm most existential. I've only had one cup of coffee so far. I know. Um, By four o'clock, I'll have many more answers now. But you know, I think I think this month in particular, we're all like the whole country is having an anniversary, right? Like if you think about and I know people make this yeah. comparison a lot, but 9-11 and other events, I was actually talking to my kids about this last night. They said, wow, someday some kid's going to be writing a paper. Uh, you know, they're, they're in middle school and elementary school. And they said, someday some kid's going to be writing a paper about the pandemic and what we're going through now, aren't they? And I said, yeah, exactly. You're living history. Your kids are going to interview you about this the way you guys have interviewed me about what happened on 9-11, right? And so I think we're collectively, as a country, from kids to grown-ups, going through this anniversary of trauma, really. And that, that's a concept that, that I'm yeah. sure Darcel knows well, I'm sure you guys know well. When, when you come on the anniversary of something major, you know, and, and particularly if it's traumatic, not in a good way, right, um, you, you re- start to relive it. And so we're all having the, okay, what where were we a year ago? Well, who was the last person I saw? When did I say goodbye? And for some people, it's unbelievably painful, painful because they've lost loved ones for many people across this country. Right. And then for others of us, it's 
a little more attenuated in that we're, wow, for me personally, I hadn't seen my elderly mother in a year. And I finally went to go see her again because she was vaccinated and because, frankly, she got sick. And, you know, so there and, and there's so many stories of every permutation in between. And so I, I do think that it, it has made all of us, you know, whatever your job, whatever your role in life, whatever, whatever you're doing, kind of have a slightly different perspective of just mm-hmm. appreciating some of those small things that we all took for granted. And that sounds so cliche. I can't even believe the words are coming out. But I know that people are hearing it probably <laughs> Or like, yeah, that's true, right? Because yeah, true. It, it really is. I mean, just seeing people, hugging people, you know, having in-person meetings instead of staring at computer screens, having, you know, and again, I, the greatest tragedy of all is people who lost people. I, I, I never want to minimize that, but it's also in smaller ways. And to answer your question about our jobs, um, I think, you know, part of it, there's a morale issue. So Darcel and I both, try to lead by being inspirational and having visions and having ideas. And I totally agree. And we've gotten so many wonderful applications and people who come, want to come work with us. On the other hand, you're dealing with an office of public servants who've been working through this pandemic, you know, like the defense attorneys, like the judges, like law enforcement, without vaccines, having still to be frontline workers, um, you know, and, and keep going. And that's a morale issue, and, it, and it's hard. And I've been, you know, really trying to keep people's morale up. And, you know, but but it's hard coming in, for me as a new DA. It's hard coming into that. But you keep coming back to the vision of I'm sure. we are trying to keep our community safe and make the justice system more fair. And and I I think it's enabled us to have a little more time to focus on that vision um, because while working through it, the day-to-day pace is a little bit different. Oh, that's a good point. I, I want to ask DA Clark about, about a point that you raised, which was that you're not eligible for the vaccine in New York yet. There are lots of categories of uh, frontline workers and even volunteers that are now currently eligible do you know what the holdup is? Like, what, is, is this on the governor's plate? Like, what, why why aren't people who have to work in, in courts facing the public, why aren't you eligible to, to get a vaccine at this point? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, Mimi knows she was, she helped us author a letter that being um, the largest city district attorneys to the governor saying why, you know, we are public facing we are keeping the justice system going throughout this pandemic. Our employees have put their lives on the line. How could we not be considered law enforcement, public safety, or whatever else? They want the courts to open and get back to work with all the backlogs that's happening. But we're not vaccinated. So she offered a letter. The five New York City DAs offered a letter. The chief judge offered two letters to the governor. Nothing. Um, the defense bar, two. Nothing. So I just got fed up. I said I couldn't keep answering my assistants who keep getting exposed to COVID every time they go into the grand jury that, um, well, I wrote a yeah. letter. Like, that pissed me off. So on Monday, I held a press conference. I had the, the supervising judge of the criminal court, the administrative judge of the Supreme Court, the defense bar, and myself held a press conference and demanded from the governor, we deserve the vaccine. Yankee Stadium is down the block from my office, a state site that has all these vaccines. Why can't we get it? And, well, some people are telling me it worked because the next day 
the governor announced <laughs> that public safety, you know, government employees will now be eligible for the vaccine starting on oh, March. Oh, look 17th. at that. So, <laughs> I don't know if I did it, but I'll take I, it. I think I think you did I it. Did, I, did <laughs> I, I think you probably did it. I'm giving you credit. <laughs> yeah, it was you. Definitely. <laughs> so thank God that, you know, it's finally going to happen. And, you know, and, and it makes my staff feel more safe and secure now because, you know, they, it's just not fair that they kept putting themselves on the line for the sake and the safety of the people of the Bronx. That's very noble. And they should get credit for that. And it's a thankless job if you ignore them for the work that they're doing. 100%. Yep. Mimi, in the in the last couple of minutes that we have, since since you're you're the one who is coming into this into this job, what what are what's like the first thing that we should be focused on? What's the first thing that you're going to be looking at at tackling? Uh, it is so hard to pick one. Um, look, I'm proud to say, frankly, and and you know that I, I've already started tackling some of them. Right? People keep asking me, "What are you going to do in your first hundred days?" And back to Darcel's point, you know, ask ask a busy mom or parent, frankly, to get things done and they'll do it, yep. you know, in record time. So in two months, I've already done, started doing, I mean, nothing is done, right, but really made big strides in a lot of the things that I am hoping to accomplish. Um, first and foremost, I mean, look, back to our original question, I, the leadership of our office went from being largely white male to being much more diverse. We're not there yet, but in particular, the leadership of the office now is much more female and much more diverse racially. Uh, we still have a ways to go, but I'm really proud of that. And again, it makes such a difference in the everyday conversations we have about cases and the approaches that are being brought to them. So that that's one big thing that I, I'm still working on, but I, I feel really, really good about um, look, obviously, and again, bringing up some of the things that you were asking about, um, police misconduct is something um, I have stated publicly mm -hmm. that I am now personally overseeing any law enforcement integrity cases, investigations that my office is doing. We are trying to grow our resources in that area. I literally have two prosecutors right now on it, which there used to be one, and then I have two prosecutors um, uh, working on other public corruption, but that's two more than there were two months ago. Um, I'm trying to grow that because we, we have as many cases and investigations as we have people to do, right? So if I have more resources, we will be able to do more investigations. They weren't being done because we didn't have the people doing them and the, and the focus on it. So I'm very focused on public corruption, um, in all categories and especially law enforcement integrity and kind of working through, you know, that in partnership with what's going to be the first conviction integrity unit, um, truly independent conviction review unit in Westchester County DA. We just hired yeah. a incredible woman to lead it um, with lots of experience from outside the office. And, and th those are all things we're working through. When can we, when can we do criminal cases and when is it a matter of, okay, our conviction integrity unit needs to look at this because something the law enforcement officer did paints this case in a way that we need to think about 
exoneration. So that that's those are two huge. I remember questions. talking to you about your conviction integrity yeah. unit when you were running, mm -hmm. and I yes. I just remembered that conversation and how much how excited we were that something like that could be in existence, and now yep. here it is. You are the DA. Yep, exactly. That's incredible. Um, Mimi Roca, exactly. Darcel D. Clark, uh, DAs for the Westchester for Westchester and the Bronx, respectively. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning and all the work that you're doing every day. We so appreciate good. you. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.